0: Two guys, two topics, two two opinions, two, talk, give me two. This is the split story of the day on 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jazz swing it around, left side, Ingles again, Ingles again. Joe Ingles is three for four from three and the Jazz lead by 12. Conley outside the three-point line. He expected the switch. It was late to come. Now he has it. Drives at Linux Beats him with the left hand. Stops. and Linux stays with him. So he has to switch it to the right hand. Misses. Gobert grabs the rebound. Holding it in the paint for a while. Throws back to Conley. Rotates to Bogdanovich. Right corner three. Boyan Bogdanovich. Jazz back up by 20. 66-46. Boyan's got 11. Round ball robbery by Conley. Leaves it behind for Royce. He rolls in for a two-hand hammer. Clarkson. Step back three. Left side is good. Clarkson leads the Jazz with 20. Clarkson catch and shoot three in transition off the back handle. Ingles grabs the rebound. Chester Bogdanovich, he'll try another three, he'll hit. And the Jazz, just like that,
1: are up 30. Well, Gordon, uh, you didn't think Houston stood much of a chance last night. They indeed did not, as that was a one-sided, balanced uh, performance uh, from the Utah Jazz where they, they made an inferior team certainly look like it. Um, the number of places to start. Why don't, why don't you uh, guide us, sir? What stood out to you about last night's game?
0: Well, the uh, first thing that stands out is that the Jazz could have won that game by 50 if they wanted to, you know. And uh, I, I don't know. When I watch a game like that, I know these guys are making a lot of money and whatnot, but I do feel sorry for the team that is uh, poorly constructed and uh, doesn't have enough talent on it to uh, – to really compete. And as you know, I'm really big on competition. That's what I'd like to see. i like to see teams get out there and really test each other. And that wasn't much of a test for the Jazz. Uh, It wasn't the Jazz's fault, though. They just took care of their business and rolled on. But, um, yeah, yeah, Rudy Gobert is a stud. The the guy's just, uh, uh, he's becoming consistently the man.
1: Do you agree I, with that? I've been saying it for a, a while now, Gordon. Not only do I agree, but uh, I'll add on top of it, he's their most consistently excellent player. You know, consistently good, whatever you want to say, but he is the same level of good every single night. I mean, maybe he affects the game differently some nights more than others, but, I mean, Gordon, I'm doing all these pre-half and posts, and we haven't come to one post game and boy, and said, boy, Rudy didn't have it tonight. I mean, it's, yeah. it, maybe there's one in there somewhere that I'm not remembering right. You know, of course, it, it's a long season, but I mean, it rarely, if ever, happens.
0: Well, 19 points, 18 rebounds on nine of 12 shooting. I, I, I I'm to the point now where remember those games when Rudy Rudy had a string of games where he would take like three or four shots, and I understand that uh, you 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 sometimes you adjust to whatever the defense is doing, but I I think the Jazz should. Make team force the ball into Rudy and, 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 and until they stop it. If they stop it, then OK, then look for other things. But man, watching Rudy dunk and move around the basket. Did you sell one drive into the hoop? And, yeah. and, and I mean, that that's uh, that's a man who has worked on his game. And you and I have often talked about how, how terrific Rudy is defensively. But uh, offensively, he has gotten much, much better and that's because he's a man of pride. He 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 set his mind to it and he's he's achieving that. I'm not I'm not saying he's you know Kareem down there but he's he's vastly improved from what we saw just a couple of years ago and his effect on the defensive end is as is, is, is as good as it's ever been. So it's it's a pleasure to watch that guy play and when that's what you want, right? If if you're a fan or if you want to buy a ticket to a game, and hopefully that more and more people will be able to do that as time goes by, I mean, you want to see something that is uh, extraordinary, and that's a good definition of what Rudy Gobert is.
1: Uh, yeah, you uh, talk about adding to his offensive game. I think that much is 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 very very clear. What what I like about his recent offensive strides, Gordon, is he's playing with. I'm going to go to a cliche because the Jazz like to use it, but he's playing with force offensively. Mm -hmm. That that, um, move to the basket was a great example, of course, because it was a strong move. But even when somebody's in his way, it seems like we're seeing less of the flips and layups and more of the just, I'm going to dunk on you and let the refs sort it out. You know, that that really kind of mentality. Like, like Rudy's physical body has come a long way mm-hmm. uh, in the NBA as he's gotten stronger every single year, and it's almost like his offensive mindset is catching up, right? Like, I, I am a big, strong, tough guy, and the fact is that very few people can stop me from getting from here to there. And, and the I feel cool like thing- that, that he's combining that – sorry, Gordon. He, he's combining that with a series of, of moves that require skill – and and we're finally seeing that high, uh, hard work really pay off.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that drive we were talking about, he he, he well, how many? One or two dribbles? I can't remember how many dribbles, but uh, into the basket, and not when he kissed it off the glass, I believe. Uh, and so there was some finesse and strength involved in that play. But I remember when you specifically, Jake, used to ask the question about what can Rudy do when there's a defender between him and the basket. Well, we're seeing uh, evidence that, uh, that that doesn't always matter that much anymore. Uh, like I said, he's not Kareem, but he's he's doing some really nice things uh, at both ends of the floor and if if I were the Jess, I know they love to toss it into him. They like to hit the th- shoot the threes and and uh, shoot at the rim. but I, I don't understand any game where Rudy Gobert only gets four shots. I, I, I think he could do, Maybe not quite as efficiently as it was last night against that substandard opponent, but he, he should be getting 10 shots a game at least. He had 12 last night, made nine, and th- that, that just makes sense to me because who's going to stop that, Jake? Right. Uh, very few NBA players uh, are going to be. And able sometimes to stop they it, build so. a wall around him, I get it. Sometimes they do that, but it's, uh, it, it just seems like it's an advantage, Jazz.
1: Yeah, and he still has some things. You know, the ball handling in traffic is is probably not going to be a strength of of Rudy Gobert's. I mean, just based on how big he is. But you know, if he's got an open lane to the basket, and make him and can make a move like that. You know, that that certainly makes a difference. And uh, well, yeah. it will continue to monitor it because teams will continue to play uh, the Jazz certain ways and, and get away with stuff as long as he doesn't make other teams pay for it. And and everybody benefits from that, by the way. Because that means that you have to guard Rudy differently, which means you're going to have to leave a shooter uh, at some point. So,
0: How many times when Rudy is having a game like that affect uh, the way he was, do you see uh, a, an end result of an open shooter somewhere?
1: Yeah, all the time.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is. It's mutually beneficial to everyone in that offense. To have Rudy involved in doing those things, and like he doesn't always have to dribble to the basket. I think most people would probably think, nah, just just pass it to him, and let him do his work. But that that really uh, seems to get the attention of uh, all the defenses the Jazz play when Rudy is effective like that, and uh, gets the ball like that. Because now all of a sudden they are sending a couple guys down, and the Jazz start whipping the ball around, and there's somebody wide open. And uh, chances are if Joe Ingles is wide open in the corner, nah he's gonna make it.
1: Gordon. I wanted to bring up a story you brought up the other day, and it's a it's a big story, certainly worldwide, but I think it's there's a kind of an interesting case study uh going on that that we could learn from and maybe apply to other situations if they pop up in the future. but um the there are a bunch of big soccer clubs in Europe who are talking about banding together to form a Super League with limited access to the other teams in the various leagues. And and there's a lot of details, and we talked about some of them, you know, threats made by the leagues, can't use players internationally. I mean, it, it, it is – there's been a big – you know, it's a big deal. Uh, but they announced it the other day, and we talked about – we wondered if uh, certain, something similar might happen in college uh, college football. But today – not only have the plans been basically tabled, which uh, is, they didn't say they were getting rid of the Super League plans, but said, oh, for now, we'll just, you know, we'll put it aside, we'll put a pin in it. Uh, but the fan backlash, Gordon, has been uh, pretty insane. You know, a story coming out today that a group of Manchester United supporters broke into the club's Carrington training base in protest. At the failed plans for the uh, European Super League, before leaving after a conversation with general manager uh, with manager Ole Gunnar, you want to take a, a shot of this last name, Gordon Solskjær? Sure. Anyway, the manager uh, uh, of the club. There's another story that um, the owner of the Arsenal, of course. Uh, the Glazer family or no, the Crockey family, excuse me, John Kroenke or Josh Crockey had to get on a Zoom call with uh, various groups of fans and that sort of thing to say that he's not going to sell the club oh. as he's feeling pressure uh, to do that because there's this weird also foreign owner element that's involved where European soccer fans think that they're trying to Americanize the sport. And there's also a a British billionaire owner who owns one of those EPL teams – or not British, a Russian billionaire owner who owns one of those EPL teams who I know has been kind of controversial. So there's this weird uh, international flair to the story. And I want to get your thoughts, but I think it's an interesting um, show of force from the fans. Yeah, you know the fans of these clubs have reversed this this master plan right in its tracks over 24 hours. I mean it. It's it's actually a
0: really incredible story. Yes, it is. And when I read about it when it first was announced, I I thought that same thing, Jay. Because I'm reading through it, I'm going, okay, wait. It says here that each of these participating super clubs, if you. In the Super League, we'll be getting forty. What was it? Four four hundred and twenty-five million each. Is that? I think I read that right. And I thought, man, that's some big money. And then they're talking about some of the other financial rewards, and I'm going, all right. I I, I understand the push here, but there was real concern about how the fans would react. And I think the fans might even have some say so about this. I think that was written into some of the rules. That uh, because they were worried about some rogue owner or some group of rogue owners just banding together and doing something willy-nilly, or not willy-nilly, but financially uh, motivated. But it actually, I'm a little torn on this because I love that kind of power for fans to be able to express opinion. But I also think that, you know, people saying that, oh, these clubs aren't concerned about the love and the welfare of the, 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 the beautiful game. They're concerned about just the beautiful reward as far as dollars go. But I don't know. I think sometimes these, these structures that are already in power aren't exactly uh, necessarily uh, – it, it isn't all about benevolence, you know. The powers that be are getting a pretty nice payoff as it is. And so it's just kind of weird to see FIFA involved in this feeling like they were some kind of victim when, you know, FIFA's had a lot of power through the years. Anyway, I like to, the be, fact to be fair.
1: I think it's the what is it? It's UEFA. It's not. FIFA. Yeah. it's the well, European... I, thought FIFA,
0: I thought FIFA was involved in it, too, that they were against it. I think it's uh,
1: well. Uh, okay, well, I from what I've read, I'm not sure how active FIFA's been. But the reason the European UEFA or whatever has all been out of shape is because Champions League is their right, thing. Right. Right. Is because they're. It'd be like it'd be like college football starting its own. Or actually, no, 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 that's not true. It'd be like car- college basketball starting its own NCAA tournament, and the NCAA going. Wait,
0: hey, what about us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think FIFA was involved as a, a negative force against it. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It, 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 it upset the entire soccer world. You know, it seems like there are a lot of it, people feeling like it was elitist and and uh, taking uh, you know other things not into consideration. And so, yeah, the fans have spoken, and and uh, these teams, at least two of them, have backed out completely. Right? I mean. Oh, yeah, so, I think the, the whole idea has been
1: everybody is, is running for cover right now. Uh, who here, is here's my question, though. No.
0: Didn't they know this was going to happen? This is what was confounding to me. When I first read about it and I saw the reaction, uh, the initial reaction, I thought, there's no way this was ever going to fly. I mean, when, when the entire soccer world is against it, and the fans are speaking out. The supporters of clubs, including the clubs that were involved in it, it's like, whoa! How are you gonna How are you gonna beat those folks back? That's well, like that's like um, that's like a fast food restaurant telling all its customers that, hey, we don't care what you think. We're gonna do this, and then all the customers say, no, you're not. You well, know, you, you do that, and we're not going to support you anymore.
1: Well, that's the part that I bet they didn't count on. If, if, yeah. if you're looking for me speculating, is that, you know, that's the part. They, pro- they probably didn't count on fan bases looking out for the system as opposed uh-huh. to just their team. Does that yeah. make any sense? Like, yeah, the, yeah, that's uh, fan base is saying, well, you're going to disrupt how everything's been done for a long, long time. The the relegation, the qualification for Champions League, you're going to make it unfair. You're going to give yourself an automatic berth into this thing, regardless of how you play. You're disrupting with the, the the entire, you know, rules of the game, so to speak, for, you know, lack of, you know, oversimplification and the own fan bases. I mean, look at this. What was it that I just said? Manchester United, their fan base stormed their practice facility <laughs> today. Yeah. That's insane. That's what I bet that they didn't anticipate. They thought our fans will go along with this because it's in their best interest because it's in our best interest and the rest of the fans can go pound sand. And that, that didn't turn out to be the case. I bet that's where the error in judgment is.
0: Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, but it is heartening, and I think this was your original point, Jake, that fans have a voice like this. Because it seems like oftentimes fans remember whenever there's labor strife, the, the, there's, the fans are sitting on the side and they saying, "How come we don't have a say in anything?"
1: You know, or at, at very least, you're not considering us and what right. we're you know our support means to you. We're just numbers on a spreadsheet.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I like that. I mean, how, is that not, how does that not warm your heart a little bit to know that the people who, who pay uh, the money to watch these games and to support these teams, uh, why shouldn't they have some sort of say in what's going on? Uh, I, I think it was pretty cool uh, to see that kind of movement, and apparently it was hot enough to, to crush the thing. at least temporarily.
1: I just would like to see more franchises do things for the fans when they don't have to. I mean, this is just an aside, but I really loved what Arthur Blank did um, with the Falcons when they opened that new stadium, Gordon, where they kept all the concession prices at reasonable prices. That was a requirement for vending in their venue. And I, I always thought that was pretty cool, but you know, when push comes to shove, the fans are the ones who are buying the tickets and watching the games and Mm-hmm. and doing all the things that makes the the whole process work. So, you know, I think a lot of times fans have more authority maybe than we recognize.
0: This is, a, this is a story I found here. It says the Football Supporters Association has condemned the six English clubs involved in the Super League and called for the implementation of something akin to Germany's 50-plus-1 rule to give fans greater control of their clubs. And then it says, what is the 50 plus one rule? Well, it means that fans hold the majority of voting rights at a club. Teams are not allowed to compete under uh, DFL rules. That's, I guess, German, Uh, if private investors hold more than 49% stake. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, you can't have. But that doesn't exist yet. That not, is not, not in Britain. Right. Not in. in the but United no German Kingdom. teams
1: were a part of this thing, yet.
0: right? Exactly, and that's probably why, huh?
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't think
0: Munich or Dortmund or one of those other super clubs in the Bundesliga wouldn't be interested in uh, an extra, you know, billion dollars here or there. But they have that in in place, and so it makes it very difficult. And now they're saying that the UK needs to come up with this kind of thing.
1: Uh, as much as I love that Gordon that idea, Gordon, I truly do, and love that it exists in Germany, there's no way that clubs are you're gonna force EPL clubs to sell fifty one percent of their or make public fifty one percent of their clubs. Yeah. I mean can you imagine if they tried to do that in the NFL? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I again, I love, <laughs> I love the idea. I think it's amazing, and what a way to give fans literal ownership in in the franchise. How loyal a fan would you have? But I, I just, I don't, I, I don't see putting that genie back in the bottle. You know what I mean? If they did it's that at here. the beginning of the league, then okay. But I don't see them all forcing all these clubs to to, sh- to sell the majority share in their you know billions of dollar operation.
0: Interestingly enough, it says here that there are some exceptions in Germany, namely uh, Bayer Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, and Hoffenheim, whose owners have been allowed to take a majority stake following a period of greater than 20 years of involvement at the club. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to think of these restrictive measures in, uh, in American sports. But anyway, yeah, it's nice to see uh, fans be able to speak out. Because for too long in our country, I think fans have been sort of shut out of the discussion. Yep. I agree. More Big Show coming up straight ahead. Stay tuned. 97.5 and
1: 1280 The Zone.